Welcome to the Work Joy Jam. I'm your host, Beth Stallwood, founder of Create Work Joy. In this episode, I talk to Ellie Dix, who has a really interesting career and one of those that I never knew really existed. And it's really exciting when we get to talk to people who have these unusual interesting perspectives and interesting careers. So I won't tell you anymore. I will allow Ellie to introduce herself and tell you what she does. And I'll pop on at the end and give you my thoughts about what I'm taking away from our conversation. Hello and welcome to the Work Joy Jam. I'm your host, Beth Stallwood, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Ellie Dix. And I'm not going to tell you what Ellie Dix does until she gets to introduce herself, because she has one of the most interesting jobs I think I've heard of in a long time. And when I heard of Ellie, I was like, right, we need to talk about this because this is really, really interesting. So Ellie, let's get you to do the reveal. Um, what is it you do? And also tell us a little bit of the story about how you got to do what you do today, because it's not one of those jobs that is particularly on a careers advisors list when you're at school, is it? It definitely isn't. No, thanks, Beth. Um, it's I'm a, I'm a board game designer. Uh, I design games for families, for schools, and for, for anyone really to play together. And I started, and it's definitely not one of those jobs that's on a career advisors list. I mean, they sort of operate heavy machinery and become a teacher or a nurse. And board game designer never appears on those lists. No, never. Uh, and often, People are really surprised when they hear what I do and they say, oh, I've, I've never met a board game designer before. I didn't even think that that was something that you could do. And yes, it is something you can do, though many, many people who are board game designers also have another job. So I'm very, very privileged to be able to do it full time. And it is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful career to have. Um, so how did I get into it? Well, um, it's a bit of a, a bit of a windy route I took, actually. I... I've always been a board gamer. We've always played lots of games as a family when I was young. Um, and I had quite an unusual exposure to games when when I was growing up. My, As well as some of the mainstream family games that you all would have had, Mousetrap, Monopoly. We, we also had um, some games that you probably haven't heard of. And so I... And these are sort of more hobby board games. My Both my parents were teachers in education. My mum actually taught on a teacher training course. So she was teaching primary teachers, particularly teaching maths to primary teachers. And one of the things that she would do, she felt very strongly that games, uh, using games in teaching is a brilliant educational tool. So one of the things she would do was to, one of the assignments she set was to get her students to create a board game, to design their own board game, uh, which had some sort of mathematical content. And then she would test them, but she would test them with us. We, well, we were at primary school. We were the target audience. Yeah. And uh, she, so she'd bring to home all these prototype games or we'd go into college and test them. And I remember her, you know, taking notes about what we were saying, asking for our feedback. Sometimes we actually even went into college to give feedback directly to uh, the student teachers. And I, 
so I was I had this exposure to games that were being created and being prototyped and being developed over time and really thinking about what what's the essence of a good board game. In addition to that, my dad is a bit bonkers and mad into gamification. Now, I don't even know if he knew that there was a term for what he did, but he, I mean, the, the, the kind of elements that cre- that made him do this were really um, that he gets very bored very quickly and uh, that he, so he wants to keep life interesting. So he really doesn't like doing chores and he really doesn't like knowing exactly what's going to happen. So to get to bypass this and be able to still live in the, the world today and do a job and do chores that you have to do, he would gamify things and he mainly did this through creating through through use of random numbers so for example if we were going to go for a family walk we wouldn't just go to the local woods and have a walk there would be this whole rigmarole about oh let's all gather around the computer program that's dad's designed for this absolute this benefit and for this for this for this situation i press a button and it will spurt out a six digit random number which will magically uh be a a grid reference within 20 miles of where we live which we then have to go and walk to um oh well not from home but we'd go and travel to and then we'd have to, to somewhere close and then we'd have to walk navigate to the exact grid reference and so we wouldn't know where we were going to go beforehand. And there's this exciting element of uh, randomness, which he's always used. And he does that in all sorts of ways. He does that in, um, you know, he's he's done that for what music should I listen to? What book should I read? All of these different things uh, are randomised so that he isn't bored. And, and it, even, even now he does his cleaning in that way, you know. Oh, <laughs> written a program about that when you know that the stairs need hoovering every week but the 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 garage needs cleaning out once a year and the downstairs windows need doing every four months or whatever it is and he'll press a button and the computer will tell him what he's doing that day so he doesn't get bored and so these two influences really gave me this kind of exposure to um game design gamifying things we used to customize games that we made I became a teacher myself and I'd use games in the classroom I would uh, create my own games to use with learners to you know to teach them a particular aspect of the curriculum that we were doing at that time and I was really bowled over by the power that games have in the classroom and so uh, and then I I uh, joined my husband and ran a an education company training teachers how to manage behaviour. We sold that company in 2017, and I knew that this was now the time that I was going to be able to jump into board game design full time, which I've been doing on the side for so long. That's a long answer to a quick question. Sorry. I love it. I, I love it. I was just like, I, I'm sitting here imagining like a, a primary school aged Ellie. Um, looking at your dad's computer going oh I wonder where we're going for our walk today and I'm also loving the idea of totally randomizing which housework chores you're gonna um do versus the same old same old boring <laughs> side of things yeah, absolutely so and, and, yeah. and, and we all ha- all of I mean I'm one of five children um Although I, I don't think we're children now. <laughs> we still call ourselves the children age 40 something um 
and we and and several of us use this cleaning program to to work out what we're doing and when he also has a a computer program that tells him which member of the family he should ring uh because he'll forget to phone us uh but he doesn't forget that you know every other evening to sit in front of the computer and get the computer to tell him who he needs to phone and he always puts in when he's last called us and and it will kind of have some waiting system and but it does cause problems because my stepmom for example he's previously handed a ringing phone to her and said here's your uncle norman the computer said you needed to speak to him <laughs> 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 yeah it's like who wins the computer or your uh... <laughs> I love it. What so there are so many interesting things about this to start with, and I've got a couple of questions for you. And sure. um, I think the first it's not really a question, it's a, a thought here is how much we are influenced by stuff we do when we're kids. Yeah. And how that I mean it obviously wasn't the first career you had because you went into teaching, although I suppose there's some link there with your parents being in that world. But how that passion and that interest can be really harnessed at a really young age and then that can lead you into great things in your future yes I think I think that's really true and but I'm not sure I think sometimes it's just about exposure to something so something that if I mean even though it's obviously not normal it felt normal to me all these things that we were doing felt completely normal and it wasn't until as it is with Many children, often people say this about their own experiences, I thought it was normal. And it wasn't until I was older and I started telling stories about what we used to do that I realised that it wasn't at all normal. You know, these parties that my dad used to lay on for us, actually I did realise they weren't normal because I go to other people's parties and we'd be playing pass the parcel and things. And people would come to my parties and parents would sort of hang around half in trepidation and half because, (laughs) you know, they really wanted to see what we were up to and I remember this one party in particular the the astronauts party uh, that um, you know, parents were sent these invitations and they were told to bring <laughs> let their child come just it, it, well wearing a bin bag over their uh, normal clothes basically uh, as as an astronaut and we kind of and and the first thing that happened while the parents were still standing and watching as they welcomed into the garage to do a, a weight training uh, program to see how much uh, weight they could lift and carry on their backs because we were going on this ex- extreme expedition through the house which had been changed into a grotto we were going to land on a on a strange planet and go and visit the god who was in the loft and we had to give gifts to the god and we had to carry these gifts and they were just paving slabs that my dad had kind of <laughs> broken up so, so children had to put these pavings to strap these paving slabs to their back and wear bin bags and go through the house under blankets and i remember there was always someone that was sick because the food was disgusting and there was always someone because my dad would do like mystery fantasy food you know <laughs> pork sausages and strawberry jelly and things and and there was always someone that cried because they got lost somewhere in the house because they were under a bed that had been draped in blankets or something and couldn't find their way into the pirate grotto or whatever it was. And I thought it was normal until I started going to you know, other people's parties. And, and I think that, yeah, I mean, you 
you're exposed to these things as a child and they stay with you. Your experiences stay with you. And they, of course, they form the kinds of things that you think about. Uh, and I think one of the really interesting things is that we don't change that much, you know, from when we're children to when we're adults. What we like doing when we were children is often what we like doing when we're adults. And if you're not, expo- you know, and those things that you're exposed to form the kinds of things that you enjoy, the kinds of things that you want to do. Um, So if you always go out on family cycle rides and that's a very pleasant experience for you as a family and it brings you joy, that that kind of activity is always going to be associated with that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very much we are, uh, you know, the things we enjoy doing are formed when we're younger. Yeah. And and then tell me a little bit more, because you then used, before you became a game designer, you were using it in your role as a teacher and then in your role as kind of educating teachers. Um, how did you find games helped in that world? And, and then if you can, I'm thinking about actually in the context of work, if we thought about games, how might that translate into the context of work? Yeah. Well, um, there are huge benefits to games. And and for clarity, I'm not just talking about uh, traditional board games like Monopoly. I'm not saying that you should get Monopoly out in a classroom or in a, a workplace and start playing. Um, it's it, When we're talking about tabletop games, there's this whole range of different kinds of games, whether they're tile placement games, whether they're... Um, role-playing games, party games, card games, or games with boards, all sorts of different things. Um, and they and these different kinds of games have different benefits. Uh, some of them, of course, are going to be, uh, have curriculum content, you know, if we're talking about use in schools, that are going to help. But really, I'm talking about games in general, playing any kind of games of what the benefits are there for learning and for uh, and for in the work environment so first and foremost games playing games brings people closer together you know many interactions that we have with our children or with our colleagues or with our learners are functional and tr- or transactional and that only increases as our children get older <laughs> and it's 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 all too easy to get caught up with what needs to be done either in, you know in the workplace at the, in the home in school and forget about having moments of fun together and fun is so important because it brings us closer. It helps us to connect with other people, to disconnect the person from the role. And uh, really it's about developing connections, uh, improving relationships. And games help us to do that because they take us away from this sort of transactional and into a world of play. And it helps us to build trust and unity with each other. Um, Secondly, games don't matter. And you can't overemphasize how important that is. You know, in the workplace, 
where everything is measured really you know your you know what your um objectives are you know that you're being graded on what you're doing or you're or you're grading yourself in some sort of way on what you're doing and it's all about uh, deadlines and uh, achievements and in school where we're always striving to, for exams we're getting through the curriculum it matters. What we're doing matters. It has consequences. But in a game, the outcome doesn't matter at all. So the stakes are really low. It doesn't matter if we lose. Games provide us with this platform to fail. We can fail over and over again. And odds are that most time you're playing a game, you're going to lose because one per, if it's yeah. a competitive game, one person's <laughs> going to win. So as we become more comfortable with failing, we start to learn from it. And we tend to, you know, avoid putting ourselves in position where we, where we don't succeed in our daily lives. We don't want to do that. You know, we don't want to put in a contract that we, you know, put in a, a proposal and then we don't get it or we don't want to take a test and we don't do very well. Um, but in games, it really doesn't matter. And that's so liberating and it makes us behave differently it makes us more experimental more free um and get playing games whether we uh in in a school context whether the game has got any kind of innate you know innate and edu- educational content or not games help us to develop learning skills and this is useful in a work context as well you know games improve our memory formation and our cognitive skills our processing speed is increased as we're playing games and we have to make quick decisions. We, uh, our logic and reasoning skills are developed. We improve our critical thinking and our spatial reasoning. Our verbal communication skills are developed when we're playing some sort of games that we have to negotiate for or explain what we're doing. Our concentration and our attention span is developed and hugely importantly we learn about problem solving you know and decision making we're presented with an issue with a a scenario in front of us and we have to make quick decisions so games encourage us to think in new ways uh yeah i mean there's all sorts of other things you know every player is equal in a game and that's not the same in a the hierarchical structure of the workplace or uh the classroom uh Games create these kind of shared experiences that we can come back to time and time again. And that's really useful in a learning context, because if you're teaching. Sorry, that's my phone. We're going to ignore that. Oh, they're probably going to try again. It's a bit of a nightmare. I've got a landline in my study that I can't even remove. It hardly ever rings. In fact, I was going to say, like, this is probably the only time this year it will actually ring. We call it grandparent line because the only people that usually call on it are either my parents or my husband's parents. And it's not it's not one of those numbers, so I don't know who it is. It's practical. They'll probably try again. How annoying. Um, finally, there's one last thing that's really important about games is that there are both kind of physical and mental health benefits of playing games. Uh, game playing has proven health benefits because it induces laughter and reduces stress, boosting the immune system and lowering blood pressure. Now, board games really help us to escape from 
our daily worries and focus on something else for a little while. You can't think of very many other things while you're playing a game. Your focus is on the game. Uh, so this brings us a little bit of balance in a hectic world and helps us to relax. Uh, and I think also, you know, when we're talking about parents and using games in the home, teenagers particularly may seem to want to spend a lot of time on their own in their room, but it's not usually in the best interests of their mental health. So taking time to play together can reduce that sort of isolation. And there's loads of studies recently that say that people who play games are less at risk of cognitive decline, dementia and Alzheimer's. So it's a bit of a win-win when you're playing games, really. I was going to say that list is enormous, isn't it, of all the And it's benefits. not the whole list. Yeah. But those are that's a sort of whistle-stop tour of some of the benefits. Yeah. I'm just saying here, I was giggling slightly at myself when you said it reduces blood pressure. And I've had some very, very blood pressure raising inducing uno games with some friends in the past yes um <laughs> but but overall yes. you think about the fun that you had and we actually like i could quote many times where uno has been the part of our fun times yes absolutely and i mean you know, many people say, I, can't, I don't like board games. You know, I can't, I can't stand them. And it's because that they're playing the wrong kinds of games, to be perfectly honest. And, um, that, you know, many parents will cite board games as, you know, causing problems in the home and arguments. And really, it's because they're playing these many mainstream games like Monopoly that aren't really very good family games. You know, Monopoly was was... Uh, published in 1935 and we're still playing it and there are so many better family games now than there were and you know when you think about it monopoly is very very long that's not a great family experience you could be losing for many hours you could uh be out a long time before other people. And the writing is sort of on the wall from really early on. Now, none of those things make for a particularly harmonious family experience. So, of course, uh, these benefits of playing board games rely on you picking the right sort of games that are going to help you uh, pull together with other people rather than bring you apart. And now, I mean, there's all sorts of things that do that. There are, there are games that don't have conflict. There are games where... Um, you know, where player interaction is reduced a little bit, but there are also um, uh, cooperative games where as a group of players, you're working together to try and beat the game. And th and that's, I mean, there's a great one called Pandemic, which is probably the most well-known. And it's, uh, obviously, it's, it's been played quite a lot in the last <laughs> few years. Yeah. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's very... Uh, very appropriate for for the time we're living in yeah and it, I'm just sitting here thinking about that idea of games being long and boring versus the right ones for the concentration span you have with different people yep. and also what, one of the things I was really thinking about when you were talking earlier is how games are often I think and if I think about my personal experience are first or most easiest introduction with failure and resilience against it and being okay with it yep. and understanding that it, it's, it, you know, it's just part of, part yeah. of life. And, and, and that's why it can be so damaging when you have, and, and I totally understand why parents do this, why some parents do this, that they'll let their children win the game uh, because it's easier to do that. 
And it's really actually quite damaging to do that because it stops the children from getting comfortable with losing. And um, it's difficult. It's, you know, it's a difficult lesson to teach as a parent. But it's 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 the fact that we don't get and and now even less so we don't get put in a, you know we're not putting our children in a position where they are forced to lose uh, because we're you know with schools are very much more about you know not putting not 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 grading children against each other which is great which is which is an improvement but it has put us into a position where children aren't used to uh, knowing where they stand in a, in a situation and then so they're less likely to be able to cope with losing but you have to push through that you have to teach your children how to manage that so that you can ha have so you can access the joy and all these wonderful benefits that playing games brings yeah and I'm just saying thinking a couple of weekends ago when it was raining and I had um my friends and my goddaughter around for a barbecue so we ended up inside and at 11 years old she absolutely whooped me at a game called Rubik's Race yep. about 10 times and I'm thinking I didn't need to let her win she was going to win there was no hope whatsoever that I would win in this situation her brain moved so quickly to getting it done Absolutely. And it's to do with the kinds of games you're playing. So, you know, if you're playing games of, you know, of luck where there's no, you know, but it's just, well, it's going to be person A or person B that wins and there's nothing that you can do in terms of your own choices within the game to win, then you're going to have a more of a problem when you've got a child who can't cope with losing because there's nothing they could have done to win. And, I, and actually, I think it's counterintuitive. We think that that will make them feel better, but it doesn't. It's actually better to have made decisions and lose in the game than it is to have not made any decisions and lose because then it just feels totally unfair. You can see, even if you're upset, that you your decisions have had an impact on your eventual outcome in the game. Um, and okay, there might be elements of randomness in a game, but really these good games have got some choice for players so that they can have agency over their own destiny. And, and that's what we want to see. And then, okay, you might be frustrated because you've made some poor choices or the choices that you've made have prevented you from winning. But then you can get better and better and there's the opportunity for you to get better and better and, and ultimately to win. I mean, you know, a child who's played their grandfather every week at chess for five years and never beaten them and then suddenly one day they pick them at the post. You know, there is nothing that compares to that kind of sense of personal satisfaction. And you get there because you failed so many times. Yeah, and that's the that's the thinking, isn't it? It's about the long term benefits, not necessarily winning in that moment. Yep. It's the understanding how to play the game and understanding all the different techniques and stuff, and building your skill. And there's so many lessons in that for life in general, work, children, everything. Yep. Is sometimes it's about understanding that you've got to take time to build your skills. That Absolutely. you don't just suddenly the first time you play it play amazingly well absolutely and i was speaking to a couple of guys who have uh, written a book about chess improvement which is really written for parents and coaches of chess players and and children who are becoming chess players and they said something very interesting they said you know the 
best sort of questions you can ask after a child, I guess it's saying with an adult, playing a chess <laughs> match are, um, you know, are not about the outcome of the game. You know, don't start by saying, did you win? Start by saying, what did you learn? And whether you won or not is irrelevant. You know, what were the interesting bits in the game? What what did what what was unexpected? Ask those sorts of questions. And so you can see that as a parent or as a teacher, you can start to form the way that children and young people think about their game playing experiences that they've had by the questions that you ask if you make it all about who's won if you let the person who's won not clear away or you all give them a clap and say oh brilliant well done aren't you wonderful then there's more emphasis on the outcome of the game rather than the process of playing yeah and I would just see the translation of that into you know think about a project and you're doing like a project review at work rather than asking did we win at the project or did, did we get the exact outcome we were looking for asking things like what did you learn what were the unexpected Absolutely. bits how did you overcome things what were the challenges you know exactly. where did and, you feel the joy and it's got, all better questions absolutely and it's got to be in a work context not just about the winning or the losing it's got to be about you know if you're embarking on a project that is or you know you're putting together a proposal for something and it's not and the outcome is not at all certain then uh it, it, there's there's got to be a reason more than we want to win this project to do it you know we've got to learn from maybe it's that in four years we want to be able to win <laughs> you know I, I enter my board games into board game competitions the the point is not to win those the point is to get the feedback from the judges so that I can make those games which are in development, which have not been published, which are just in the sort of development stages, I can make those games as good as they possibly can be. It's, you know, getting to the final of a competition or winning a competition is a wonderful byproduct, but the reason I'm doing it is not that. So, you know, and it's got to be the same in the work context, that there's got to be another reason why we're doing this other than to win the work. Yeah. And and then then you think about actually if we were to maybe some of our meetings, if we were to do a game within them at some point, if there's this big challenge that we're looking at, how do we look at it from a different angle, maybe using some games? And the, the other thing I was just really thinking about there when we're talking about games, I think the pandemic gave everyone a really interesting opportunity to use games to connect because I, I cannot tell you how many Zoom quizzes and zoom game things i have been on yeah. um well no, they seem to fizzle out after the first six months but for the first six months of um the pandemic when everyone was in lockdown there was a lot of trivia stuff going on um so many different things there as a form of connecting with each other which wasn't just trying to have an awkward chat over zoom mm. yeah absolutely it's and that becomes you know we need structure uh, and if you think about when you often see your friends or speak to your friends, it, it's often in a re, in a structured environment. Either it's in a, a work context, or you're all you know. I, I sing as part of a glee club, and we go and sing, and that's the context in which we meet and we chat. And there's plenty of time to chat, but we've got this structure to when we meet, and of course. All of that was taken away. And it's very difficult because when you're on Zoom, 
you can't have mini conversations between different parts of the group. You can't, that doesn't happen naturally. So uh, we've had to find ways to um, either, you know, say, oh, you, you, you go first and tell us what you've been doing and then we'll sort of go round the screen. Yeah. Um, and actually some of the best conversations we have are when we're doing something else, you know, when we're, cooking a meal together when we're playing a game together when we're going on a walk together and the focus isn't on the conversation the focus is on something else and the conversation forms naturally as 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 part of that and that's one of the reasons that playing games is so good for people who find it really hard to uh, manage in social situations so um there are some work situation or some workplaces that attract uh, really neurodiverse colleagues and you'll know what I mean in the in that kind of place sometimes there are accountancy firms and places like that where the people that enjoy that kind of work uh, might be on the autistic spectrum some of that I know I'm hugely generalizing here uh, but th there are a higher proportion in some workplaces than others of this sort of neurodiverse neurodiverse background and what you'll see with many of those people is that they don't they're not interested in small talk they find social situations quite difficult because they don't always know what's expected of them and 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 they prefer something more structured so when you have a game that you're playing it gives you a framework within which to operate and you can talk about the game you can talk through the game and people who don't want to make small talk don't have to and that's really empowering that's a brilliant social activity for any workplace to have and it's going to make employees who struggle in those kinds of free-flowing social social situations much much happier and and feel like they um are much more comfortable within their own workplace yeah because the game has boundaries and rules and yep. um a reason to be doing it versus and, and just clear, spending there trying to yeah and a to clear end point and yeah. clear victory conditions uh, and and a rule set so they know how they're behaving within the game yeah yeah. It's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? That there's, there's potentially so many uses for games at work. Yet that isn't. I, I, I don't think it's something that many people think about when they're in the working context. Is how could we, how could we use some games or some game-like thinking? You know, even that. I always just think about the randomizer from when you first came on. You know, you could have six subjects on an agenda and a dice, couldn't you? And you could go right. Which order are we going to do them in? We're going to let the dice decide. That's that's gaming yep. your meeting. Exactly. exactly. And it doesn't have to be complicated. No, it doesn't have to be complicated. You can do that. I mean, one of the things that we uh, used to do in, when I was running the education company is we would have uh, certain points. Like, for example, I mean, this is um, uh, just one example, but at our Christmas, at our Christmas event, we would have a sort of, okay, you've got 15 minutes to do this activity and it's going to be in a in a an envelope and you pick out the envelope out of a box and that's the activity we're going to do next and uh one of the activities was for example create a new product for for the company you got 15 minutes and the winner will the, their product will get developed next year and when you've got that kind of 15 minutes 
time time limits people are uh, you know and you're in groups of diff- people from different departments people just sort of create in a very unexpected way because they, you know they they've just built a gingerbread house uh, and now they're and now they're creating a product for next year and it just gets your brain into a totally different zone doesn't it yeah it does yeah Exactly, and you're working with people you don't normally work with, and uh, you're, yeah, you're you're collaborating on some things, and you're you know, but you've got your own voice within that as well. And as a business owner, you then get loads of amazing ideas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. a win-win-win situation. And really, that's what you want to de- foster and develop. You know, if if you need ideas to keep your business going which i mean i don't i don't know a business who doesn't whether it's a marketing plan or whatever kind of idea or it's a new product or it's a new service or it's how to make you know how to develop a service you've already got or how to streamline it uh, then you can't just have one person creating those ideas and if you have a sort of hierarchy or structure or job roles within your organization that say only these people can have ideas or only these people can have ideas that we will listen to, then you can be sure that no one else in the company is going to come up with any ideas, not because they can't, but because that's not their job and they're not listened to or they're not asked or they're not put in the situations where they could have ideas. So by mixing that up a bit, uh, you start to create these interesting situations where uh, where people that are really unexpected are going to start to have really excellent ideas, which will spark someone else, which, you know, and people bounce ideas off each other. So, you know, put them in that kind of situation, put it, do it as a game where the outcome really doesn't matter. You know, you're not being judged on whether you've come up with a brilliant idea in the next 15 minutes or not. It doesn't matter if you can't, but, you know, you might well do because you're eating chocolate crepes from the man who's cooking them in the corner from your your work party (laughs) and you're having a wonderful time. (laughs) And any kind of like being placed with food and games together, then you're in the ideal location, aren't you, for great ideas. And yeah, I think there's just something so if we can understand I always think this is that we always learn more we always get more out of things when we're enjoying ourselves and having fun and when the pressure to create something is off right so you take away the pressure because it's a game so the outcome doesn't matter and you said that right from the beginning the outcome doesn't matter here um but it's about the process and the thinking and the collaboration and then what I would hope in the work context is the more you do that the more that just becomes the way you do things even when there isn't a game provided to you yep absolutely and it's about that knowing that you can talk about those things with other people you know oh I've had an idea let's have a chat about it you've done it before you've created a situation where that has happened before and that can happen again and it's interesting the whole kind of creativity in the workplace uh idea because many many entrepreneurs will say that they have their ideas when they stop, when they stop working, when they go on holiday. And if they go on holiday for two weeks a year, that's the time where all their, their all their ideas are coming because they're doing something different, because they're not trying to, uh, you know, tick off things on their task list, which is really contradictory to opening up their minds to new ideas you can't you can't schedule a time in your week to have new ideas you just have to make those experiences within the life of the company um, or within your own work life yeah love it um so 
can I, because we're, we're getting to time here, move us on to some quick fire questions and yes. see where we um, head from here. So I'd love to know a bit about you personally. And what is something that for you is always guaranteed to bring you a little bit of work joy in your life? Well, I would say I'll answer this in a roundabout way. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what doesn't bring me work joy. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll go for negative ones first. Yeah, well, so... I mean, it's really the opposite of this, which is I'm pretty terrible being uh, being forced to do something by somebody else. So uh, I'm not a very good employee because I'm always fighting against what I'm being told to do. What what brings me joy is being able to make my own decisions, having complete autonomy over uh, not only my own time, but what I'm spending my time on, what I'm developing, what I'm creating. And the things that really, I mean, you could probably tell as a, as a board, I mean, I'm a board game designer, but I also own my own board game publishing company. So uh, the design is part of what I do, but I'm spending a lot of time uh, publishing games, working with manufacturers, uh, working and loads of time on marketing to try and sell these games. So the design is only part of what I do, but it is the bit that brings me the most joy. You know, sitting down with an empty page and a, a bag full of wooden cubes and, <laughs> and some bits of cardboard and a Stanley knife and think, right. What am I going to create today? That's totally exciting and very joyful. That does sound so exciting. I'm sitting here going, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. So it's such an interesting an interesting world to be in and a really interesting job. And Thank also, you. I know that there will be many people who are listening to this who relate to the, hmm, being an employee, is that really where I should be? Yeah. So, um, and wanting that freedom to be able to use your your skills and your strengths and the way that you like to work for a good purpose that links into what you want to do and what you enjoy. Totally get that. Yeah. I think there right. are people that relate. <laughs> a second question I'm going to split into two halves. So I'm going to ask you, um, first one, the question I ask everyone, which is uh, what book are you currently reading? Okay. Well, I'm afraid it's not as simple to answer that because I sort of have three books on the go yeah, at any one most time. people do. I've got a work, a sort of businessy type book that I'm reading and I've got a sort of designy type book I'm reading and then I've got a, a novel that I'm reading. So the, the design type book is called Understanding Comics and it's a, a comic it's written, you know, it's written as a comic with pictures, and it is all about comics and what they're about, and uh, and how they communicate, and how they, and why it's such a powerful form. It's very interesting. From oh, a design really point interesting. Yes, thank you. Really interesting there. And then I, I was going to go into a second question, which is, and I think this is going to be a really hard one to ask, but um, what's your current favourite game? It is a hard one because uh, most people who play lots of games will, uh, that'll change quite rapidly. I mean, I have, oh, uh, probably between 350 and 400 games in my collection and I'm afraid I get new ones all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I review games for uh, for a magazine and oh. they send me them and I buy them and I get new games on kickstarter and i go to conventions and i just acquire games left right <laughs> and but the so i've got a favorite game that is very um 
it's a very big game. It takes about three hours to play. It's called Terraforming Mars. And it is uh, each player sort of acts as a corporation who is trying to make Mars more habitable. And you're trying to increase the oxygen level, you're trying to increase the temperature, and you're trying to increase the amount of water on the planet. And you do various things to do that. And every time you play, it's completely different. Uh, the combination of cards that you get is completely different. And the re- But the reason I love it is because my children love it. Uh, it's a big game. It says 14 plus, but we've been playing it for years but only because they played lots of games. That's how we can play it. Yeah. <laughs> so so that is pretty solidly my number one. Yeah. I love that you love it because the kids love it and it's proper family time yeah. stuff going on there. And um, is it one of those ones where it's more collaborative? So you're all working towards... No, it's completely cutthroat competitive. Is it? Okay. <laughs> and you can you can steal plants off other people. You can steal animals. Okay. And you can steal you know, temperature tokens and you can do you can all sorts of things to so stop other people. Yeah, you can stop them producing titanium and, and all sorts of things brilliant you can put tiles on the board in places where, that are going to prevent them from scoring so it's a little bit backbitey but but it, what it is it's a, we call it an engine building game so the choices that you make initially are about building your engine which is then going to run and produce more and more and more and more and more you know it takes effort to build this thing but this thing is going to produce more than you would produce if you don't build it yeah sounds really good and and one that you can all get involved in and work through yes but it is definitely not the first game to play if you've not played many (laughs) modern (laughs) board games do not all go and search for terraforming mars unless you've got loads of games already it's not for amateurs then not for the first time it's not and and actually if people are interested in finding some better games there's a couple of things that you can do but the one of my biggest tips is to search for gateway games on google gateway games yeah because gateway games that's the term for games for the uninitiated great hobby games but for the people that have only been playing mainstream games up until now so search for top 10 gateway games or you know top gateway games or something on google and you'll find a load love it um What's the best or most useful bit of advice that you've had in your life, in your career, that you always find yourself coming back to? Um, I think it's, I can't remember who gave me this advice. I feel like it's been sort of, I feel like I've heard it from loads of different people over the years because it's such a basic people piece of advice, but it is so important. It is to treat other people kindly and it's it seems so obvious but when you are a teacher and you've got all sorts of other things going on and there's a child that's kicking off in front of you uh, it's hard to be kind to that child you know you don't know what's happening in anyone else's personal life you don't know what situation your colleague has just come in from or what situation that child has got at home you don't know anything about that what's going on with that person so just assume the best all the time and treat people kindly because you know th- if you treat people kindly, then they will by and large treat you kindly. And if you have high expectations of people and give them the benefit of the doubt, then uh, 
that, in my experience, will come back time and time again and, and pay you over and over. And I think, you know, if you're an employer or if you have subordinates or people that you manage, it's having high expectations but treating people kindly those two things together are going to make for a very good work uh work experience a very good relationship uh, with anybody that you work for yeah work it's, with. it's a great a great piece of advice and people often think about it, but what about all these other situations it's like just add kindness in just add yeah. kindness as the, the the first thing i i really love that um, bit of advice um what is one super practical thing that people could go and do in their lives with their families in their workplace you know it's really easy something you can go and do that might bring a bit of game benefits into their world yeah uh well if you'd like to have uh, you know have some more gaming experiences in your home and you think that your teenage children (laughs) might be a bit um might not might not be very receptive and then you could use what i call deliberate stealth (laughs) (laughs) instead of saying come on everybody let's play a board game (laughs) in which they don't know remember if you haven't played lots of games and you've only got games that aren't brilliant family gaming experiences like we've talked about with monopoly for example then people's expectations of what a game is going to be are not always exactly as you might want them to be. So think about, um, okay, how can I stealthily expose them to some great games without making a whole big thing of it? You might not want to clap your hands and say, let's play a lovely board game, everybody, because they might just, you might get uh, not the best response. So, um, there are a couple of ways that I'll that I do this, that I have done this, or suggested that people do this. Uh, get some board games that are quite pretty on the table, set them up and play them by yourself. Loads of board games now have a, a solo play mode, or play them with another adult or someone else in the house that you think is going to be most receptive. And and they look beautiful on the table. And position yourself to be found by the children or by whoever you think is going to be the most reluctant. To, to to join in don't ask them to join in just you know let them saunter over ask what you're doing you know this could be as simple as playing a game called uh, so there's a patience game card game called spaces and it's probably my favorite patience game solo card game and it involves you need a big table you're going to put all 52 cards out in uh, on the table face up in four rows of 13 and just that itself takes so much it has so much table presence you cannot you know just sitting there doing this people other people in the house your kids will stop and ask they will stop and and sit with you they'll you know stand next to you and look and that's and and then they'll say oh well you could do that you could do that and you're hooking them in very gradually very stealthily another thing you could do is deal out cards with dinner you know they're going to sit there at the table anyway for dinner they probably you know if you've got teenage if you've got teenagers they might not want to talk to you so so actually they might be quite happy to be given some cards or some dominoes or some dice or or some kind of game that they can play while they're eating and then that will extend dinner for a bit it will keep you together for a bit longer and you will start that game playing will start to become something that happens in your family of course you can do the same thing in other environments as well yeah i, I love the idea <laughs> i'm doing down some table presence yeah it's just having it there 
yeah, it does make such a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, and don't have your board games in a cupboard where nobody can see them. You know, have them on show. Have some of these puzzle games like Rush Hour or something on the coffee table. Have a game called like Zombie Dice on the kitchen counter. It takes five minutes to play. You can play it when you're waiting for some, you know, waiting for the microwave even. Uh, you know, just have these things out and around the house. Have a sort of leaderboard on the back of the toilet door where, you know, you've got a single player game and you're writing your personal times for that month or that week in that game. You know, just exposure you know make it so that it's clear that you are a board game family playing family and that's part of your brand yeah i'm just thinking about that on on our fridge there is currently a leaderboard between me and my husband as to who's winning at boggle there you go. There you go. Yeah. And and you could do that in the workplace yeah, as well. You could totally do that in the workplace. And you can totally have, you know, just have some games out at lunchtime yeah. if you've got some space for it. Or exactly. start a meeting with something random. I mean, I know as a facilitator, some things I do, if we're going to do a who's going to go first with a presentation, if people pick a card and you do highest, lowest, like that's the starter of a, it's a gamification yeah. type thing, but it's really simple to do. I love it. It's really good. Uh, and, there are you know, plenty of workplaces that have, that have board game, little mini board game libraries or board game clubs that happen at lunchtime. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a, a great, great way of doing it. It's a great way of doing it. And finally, my final question for you, Ellie, is thank you so much. And where can people find out more about you and your board games and all of the amazing things that you produce in this world? Yes. Well, uh, I have a website, which is the name of my board game publishing company, The Dark Imp. So you can find it at www.thedarkimp.com. And you can get in touch with me there through the contact page. There's an online shop so you can see all of the different uh, games that I've created. And I specialise in creating games in small formats that are very giftable. So games on coasters, uh, games on placemats, uh, games in Christmas crackers, um, and and so that there's all sorts of things there and you can get lots of downloadable print and play games for even just as little as £1.99. So I'm sure there'll be something there for you to try. Um, I've also written a book called The Board Game Family, Reclaim Your Children from the Screen. So uh, and you can get that on Amazon or again through the website. I generally hang out on twitter that's where you're that's where i'm most active in social media and i'm at ellie dicks tweets i'm also on facebook and linkedin but yeah i'm spending most of my time on twitter brilliant and we'll put all those links into the show notes as well ellie it's been lovely chatting to you i could chat for ages more and find out more about all of these amazing things around games but i just think it's a really great thing for our listeners to think about is how could you use games for all i mean that list of benefits is enormous for some of those things and just see how it works for you yeah and and for me that stealth mode side of things like go and put some stuff out there play it and see what happens is a great way of getting people started and interested so thank you so much for coming on the work joy jam thank you very much for having me beth it's been lovely to be here Thank you for listening to the Work Joy Jam and thank you very much to Ellie for joining me and talking all about how games can really help us in our lives, with our families and obviously in the workplace as well. 
so many things to take from that and the interesting things about how it can benefit things like collaboration and creativity and creating new ideas and getting people to connect with each other which I think in the workplace is such an important thing and how it can actually have a benefit on things like your mental health and learning how to fail and learning how to um, grow and so many different things and I loved her phrase that games can put a bookmark in your mind something to refer back to something to come back to as a group that really helps people understand and contextualize what's going on in their world the other thing that I really really liked and I often talk about it as going into like stealth mode is this idea that you can get people excited about these things by actually doing it yourself having something there having something on the table maybe having something in your workplace that just encourages people to consider different ways of thinking using games as a way of learning and as a way of connecting and as a way of being together so huge thank you to Ellie for being part of it I think some great advice there um, and do go and take a look at thedarkimp.com if you are interested in getting some games and seeing what Ellie does do go and have a listen to the other episodes of the WorkJoy Jam as well we have many people from different backgrounds different experiences different industries to talk to and find out what they do to get work joy in their life as well as some of their advice and their guidance from their expertise if you're looking to really up the level of joy in your working life you might want to consider coming and joining our club work joy in this club we're an amazing community of people who are all trying to do the same thing which is creating and cultivating more joyful working lives we have a range of speakers we have networking events we have collaboration on our app and it's a great place to be so do go to www.createworkjoy.com to find out more about the club and do come and join us we'd love to see you there have a great day